This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. Hear the word of our Lord. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of our Lord. Morning, we are going to look at a passage which I hope we are familiar with. <laughs> Last week, John preached on this passage. And if you remember far back enough, two weeks ago, I also preached on this passage. And I have to admit, when John started preaching this passage last week, my first thought is, what did I do wrong? (laughs) Did I say something? But then John began to preach, and what John wanted to do, what this passage before us does, is it drives home the point of the faithfulness of Jesus. He spoke about how he went and looked, and all he could find was, in dictionaries, was the faith in Jesus, but you could not find the faith of Jesus. Jesus was upon the cross, dying, suffering, naked, ashamed, cursed. And he showed us true faith. Jesus did not have faith in the promises of God because of his circumstances. He did not show his faith in God because his family situation or the collection of goodies that he owned. He did not show faith in God because his refrigerator was full of food or that his football team was good. He showed faith in God because God is faithful. Jesus showed faith in God Because God is, not was, God is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus had faith in God because God is good, because God is just, and God is gracious. God could not, would not, and did not let Jesus die condemned or cursed for the things that he didn't do. Because God is faithful. This is what Jesus had faith in. Jesus was a true man of true faith. It is in God and his covenant promises that Jesus believed in. That he trusted in. That he had faith in. And Jesus shows us what this true faith looks like. And as we will see today, without the help of God, that we are actually unable to show this same type of faith. Faith like Jesus. Because there is nothing inside of us, nothing in our natural desires 
that has anything to, that we want to believe anything that God has said. Jesus chose selflessness. Jesus chose substitution. Jesus chose to be a servant. Jesus chose to do the will of God the Father Almighty, even, meant, even though it meant agony and death. Jesus had faith in the plan of God, and he was committed to that plan. You see, these are things that we are not naturally inclined to. It's not natural for us to commit our spirit into the hand of the Father because we don't want to lose the control of our own lives. We don't desire the things that God desires. How often do we daily give our desires up to follow the desires of God? John told us what faithful living looks like. It's giving up our spirit every morning before we go to our jobs, saying, your will be done. It's giving up our desires in our marriages, in our singleness, with our children, with our friends at school, with our teachers, with our employees and employers. Yes, if you know Jesus and you've had faith in him, there are times our faith is placed in the transcendent hands of our covenant God through the power of the Spirit, but then the next second, our next thought is about ourselves. Sin never makes sense. Sin always isolates. It always turns us from looking outward and looking upward, and it makes us look inward. And we begin to look what we think is best for us. And this is what the foolishness of sin is. is because sin always promises us self-gratification. It always promises us happiness, pleasure, and joy. But sin never delivers on its promises. It always offers us the best for right now. But then that leads to loneliness and sorrow and pain and death. On our own, we are unable to have faith like Jesus. It is not part of our nature. We need Jesus. We need God to help us. We need God to give us faith like Jesus. Because on our own, we cannot pray the prayer of Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What this passage teaches us, what all of Scripture teaches us, is that our hearts need to be changed. We need to be given faith like Jesus. And this morning we are going to look at how this change began in a character in this narrative. And as we will see, by God's grace, he gives faith to those who aren't even looking for it. God gives faith by the eternal and most free purpose of his will and the secret counsel of his good pleasure. 
because he's loving and kind and gracious and he's faithful. Let us go to God this morning and ask him to bless our time together. Please pray with me. Father, we come and we meet here this morning as your people. Lord, open your word to us. Open our eyes to see your goodness. Soften our hearts. Reveal our sin. Lord, bless us so that we may be a blessing. Lord, we lift up John this morning. We pray that you heal him from his surgery. We pray for Mr. Jim as he finds himself in a new place. Teach us as a church how to love him well. We pray for Robert Gardner's dad that you will heal him. We pray for those in our church who are suffering from illnesses and sicknesses. Lord, you are a God who is alive and well. Heal us. We pray for those here this morning that deal with loneliness. May they find a home and a community here at this church. We pray for those with hard relationships. You know each of us in our situations. Lord, we ask for your healing. Even with our family members, even with our friends, you are at work. Lord, we pray for all the public, private, and homeschoolers at Christ Presbyterian Church. May you bless our students as they learn of your goodness in the way that you have created the earth. May they see your hand in the math and sciences, in English and in history. May they see the creativeness that you have in your creation, and that you have given to them. Lord, we pray for the other churches in our county that preach the gospel. Embolden their pastors. May they preach with authority. May hearts be changed. May the kingdom be expanded. We pray for Hickory with Presbyterian Church and Doug Barcroft, their minister. Bless them. Lord, we pray for our president. May you give him strength and the leadership to lead this country. May you give him wisdom and your character of justice and peace. We pray that you put those around him that give him good information, that give him good vision of how to love people well. We pray for the church planters of MA in this country. We pray for all those who are planting churches, who are excited about the gospel going to new corners of our own country. Bless those ministers and those people. Lord, we pray for the Shibe family. May you use them in great ways. We pray for the work that you're doing through Mission to the World. 
Lord, as we sang today, may they lift high the cross until all the world adore your name. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Bless us this morning. In the name of Christ. Amen. What is your favorite food? What gets you excited about eating? Is it the process of food, of cooking it, that gets you excited? Or maybe you just have that one special place that when you think of going there, you start to salivate. What are the favorite, your favorite types of food? I bring up food because everyone in this room knows of someone that's on a diet. Maybe you're on one, but we all know someone that is on a diet. Keto, low-carb, no-carb, paleo, vegan, Atkins, intermittent fasting. Those are just the first that I could find. Everyone who is on a diet is doing so because they want change. They want to look different. They want to feel different. They want to be different. And each person that is on a diet sees themselves physically or mentally in one way or another, and they want to change something about themselves. They want to be different. And maybe it's a self-revelation of them looking at themselves in the mirror. Maybe it was a doctor's visit that encouraged this physical change. Or maybe it's because they looked at people around them. But everyone that you know that is on a diet is trying to change something. You see, this character that we meet today doesn't need a diet plan, but he needs to be changed. And unlike, unlike those who are on a diet that have taken this change into their own hands, this centurion needs a change that doesn't come with the, from inside himself. This centurion needs to be changed by the grace of God. The first words that we said this morning in the worship service, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This is not what the centurion was saying at the foot of the cross. He was not looking for God. But this is what God promises us in the gospel. And this is the gospel that Jesus preached, is that he was going to proclaim liberty to the captives. He was going to give sight to the blind. He was going to liberate those who were oppressed. The promise of the gospel is that God changes us. Blind people don't recover their sight on their own. People that are captives cannot legally free themselves. And this is the same gospel that Paul preached. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, became great because of his great love with which he first loved us. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. By grace, you have been saved. God is telling us what he's going to do. He's going to change us. He's going to change others. And this promise fulfills what the prophet Ezekiel tells us in chapter 36. 
where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God tells us that we need to be changed from the inside out, and he tells us we cannot do it on our own. He tells us, you are blind. You can't cause yourself to see. He tells us that you are dead, but I will give you new life in Christ. You see, a Roman centurion, by definition, is a Roman soldier who's in charge of a hundred men. He was in charge of crucifying Jesus. He witnessed Jesus suffer, go through the trials. He witnessed Jesus being mocked and flogged. And he was there when they nailed Jesus to the cross. He was there when his side was pierced. And then God changed him. And at that moment, while he was at work, God changed him. This is who the centurion was. Just a man at work, doing his duty. And God did not wait for him to come. But God met him at the foot of the cross. God met him when he wasn't expecting it. And God turned his cursing of Jesus into the praise of Jesus. This is where some of you might be this morning. Some of you might be trying to fix yourselves before you go to God. God does not look at you as though you have something to give. He does not look at you in the way that we might look at ourselves in the mirror and say, we need change. He looks at you and says, by grace, you are saved in Christ. You do not have to fix yourselves before I can fix you. I am the change that you need. I have the power to give you faith. I have the power to change your heart so that you can have faith like Jesus. You don't have the eyes to see, but I'll heal you. Guess what? You're dead. But I will give you life. And some of you might want all the answers before you believe in the promises of God. You might want all the facts before you believe. You might want to see where things are going in your life before you act. But can I challenge you this morning? If you're already asking those questions, God is at work in your life. Before you are willing, God is moving and working. He is fixing your eyes. He is healing your heart. God is calling you to faith in Christ. He's not asking you to take a blind leap of faith. He's calling you to believe in the work and the person of Jesus. He isn't calling you to get your life together. He isn't calling you to get your finances intact. He isn't calling you to have the best friends before you're finally adequate 
He is telling you, I have removed your sins at the cross of Christ. And that is why we are all here. Is because God has the power to change us. God is working by the power of his spirit through us. If you walk in those doors, that is what you proclaim. I didn't have enough faith this week. But God has promised us to give us more faith. I didn't have the strength to do everything I was supposed to do this week. But God gives us the strength we need to continue through the day. I didn't have enough faith this week in Jesus, but by the power of the Spirit, God gives us faith. We cannot do this on our own. We need Jesus. This is who the centurion was. But then we see the centurion converted. No one likes imposters. Victor Listig developed a scheme to sell the Eiffel Tower. After reading of the famous structure being built in in 1889 at the World's Fair, he learned that it was only built to last for 20 years and that the Eiffel Tower needed um, needed to be demolished. And so he claimed that he was a government official and tried to sell the metal of the Eiffel Tower. The problem was that he did. One dealer bribed him to secure the winning bid for the job, and after paying him a huge amount of money, he finally learned that he actually wasn't receiving the Eiffel Tower. Embarrassed by what he did, Embarrassed that he had been deceived, the man that bought the Eiffel Tower didn't even press charges. He was deceived. We don't like being deceived. We don't like imposters. And the reason I bring this idea of imposters up is there are many people that look at the centurion and they're very hesitant to say, this centurion had faith in Jesus. We don't like imposters. And I have to admit, I was very skeptical at first. Do these words of the centurion show true faith in Jesus? Our confession says, true faith is accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Do we see that confession in the centurion? Is he an imposter? But Luke tells us something about the centurion that changed. You see, the centurion that was the crucifier of Jesus all of a sudden began praising God. This phrase, to praise God, is used ten times by Luke in his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. In every instance, this phrase is used by response of the people, by the work of God. In Luke, the lame man glorified God because he was healed. 
The people responded to Jesus as he brought the widow's son back to life by glorifying and praising God. The woman who had been disabled by spirits for 18 years after she was healed glorified God. Peter and John and Acts being released from prison, they praised and glorified God. And very specific to this text, we see in Acts 10, Peter comes back to Jerusalem to tell that Gentiles are being saved. And what does the church at Jerusalem do? They praise God. Every instance of this phrase, he praised God or they praise God, is people responding to the awesome work of God. This phrase can be translated as glorifying. God. It's actually the Greek word that we use for doxology. They praise God. Here we see the centurion at the foot of the cross, seeing the work of God in Jesus, and he started praising God. His eyes were open to the powerful work of God through Jesus upon the, upon the cross. He saw God at work and did the only thing any of us could do. When God opens our eyes and softens our heart, he turns into worship. And this work of God has happened in each of our lives at some point. If you are a believer in Jesus, your heart has been changed. You have become a worshiper of God. And if you believe in Christ, you were once like the centurion, Our sin so dominated us, it was so intrinsic to us that we didn't see God, but God changed us. My response to those who are afraid to call the centurion a true confession, if if they're afraid that he might be an imposter, is that we were all imposters once. But God changed us. But only by God's grace can we praise the work of his hands. Only by the grace of God can we even respond to God's grace because we cannot find it within ourselves. The grace of God, his calling and his choosing of us in Christ enables us to give him glory. This is the only way the centurion is able to praise God is by the grace of God. Of God. Something that I have tried to teach our youth group and that we will be looking at this semester in the book of Exodus is I always tell them when you're reading your Bibles, always mark down how people respond to God. Do they give a proper response or do they give an improper response? And as we will see in the book of Exodus, Moses and Aaron oftentimes respond properly to God. God asks them to do it. And then the next couple verses is them doing what God asked them to do. That is a proper response. An improper response would be God through Aaron telling Pharaoh to let my people go and him say no. In my margin, I wrote improper response. Here we see a proper response at the foot of the cross. Jesus' corpse is hanging there. And the centurion praises God for his work in Christ.
Paul responds in the same way when he's writing a letter to the Romans. He tells those Romans that they have been predestined and called. And those who have been called have been justified. And those who have been justified, he has glorified. And then he break, breaks out into song. He breaks out into a great doxology. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is able to condemn? Proper response to the work of God is praise and adoration of God. And how does God's act of grace lead you to worship Christ? It's usually really easy for us to praise God when good things happen. When we get a job, a good grade, we get something we want. How do we praise God all the time? How do we properly respond to the God's grace to us in every situation through worship and adoration, glorifying God for what he has done for us in Christ? How are you asking the Spirit to give you the power to worship God, to properly respond to he who, who created you? How are you asking God to encourage you? And how are you asking God to use you to encourage those sitting at the table around you? Because the proper response for all of us is not that I individually praise God, but that I also love my neighbor and encourage them to praise God along with me. Because God is gracious and merciful and faithful to his covenant promises to us in Christ. The centurion was a crucifier, and then he was a convert. And now we will look at the centurion as the confessor. Because not only do we see the centurion glorify God, we see the centurion make a remarkable profession. You see... The centurion was in charge of the crucifixion of Christ. He watched Jesus be unjustly condemned. He watched Jesus stand trial three times. He watched as Pilate confess three times that he was innocent. He watched Herod confess that he was innocent. He watched as the criminals on the cross admitted Jesus was innocent. And then the sun gave way. It became dark in the middle of the day. You've heard me talk about what signs do. Signs point us to something. They prepare us for something. They're a guide for us. But they, don't, they aren't the, thi the things themselves. You see, when the sun went dark that day, is because Christ, the Son of God, died. The cosmos should have been torn apart. And Jesus told us that this would happen. 
Because Jesus said that a greater sign than Jonah would come. He told us that he was greater than Jonah. And just like Jonah went to the Gentiles to proclaim the good news, here we have a Gentile standing at the cross, praising God and confessing, surely this man was innocent. You see, he didn't get a sign. He got, a, he got what the sign points us to. He saw Jesus. He saw this Jesus die the death that he deserved. He saw Jesus die the death that we deserve. And he was innocent. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is often spoken of as something blind, as something you cannot prove. Sometimes people think of people of faith as being naive, but this centurion showed a faith of something that he witnessed himself. He had faith in the person of Jesus right in front of him. And he didn't know everything. He didn't know that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. He didn't know about the Trinity. He didn't know about the fulfilled prophecies of Isaiah. He didn't know about the coming work of the Holy Spirit. But the centurion had faith in the power of God. He had faith like a child. If you confess Christ, you confess faith like a child. How are you acting in faith in God's covenant promises in Christ? How are you asking God to change you? How are you asking God to give you more of what you need? You need more Jesus. Because left on our own, we turn inward. Jesus turns us outward. Jesus turns us upward. Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus teaches us and gives us the ability to love our neighbors as ourselves because under our own strength, we are unable to do so. It's interesting to see this confession recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It really made me start thinking about our own confessions. When was the last time you told someone your confession of faith? God is able to use the power of even our simplest confession to bring others to faith, even while they're at work. You see, God's people are a changed people. They're not changed by their own strength. They're changed by the powerful hand of God. It works against our sin, 
the power of God makes us more like Christ. The power of God makes us have faith like Christ because God is faithful. He is with us and he is coming again. Let us stand and sing our last hymn. When I survey the wonderful cross. <laughs>